our Old Testament passage today picks up in Exodus chapter 6, Exodus 6, beginning with verse 14. These are the heads of their fathers' houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jamul, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zahor, and Shaul. The son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libby, Shimai, by their clans. And the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. And the sons of Merari, Mahili, Mushi, these are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amron took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amron being 137 years. So now we find this is where Moses and Aaron came from. The sons of Izha, Korath, Nepeg, and Zekri. The sons of Uzel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sitri. And Aaron took as his wife Elishaba, the daughter of Aminadab, the daughter of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, and the sons of Korah, Asher, Elkanah, and Abishath. These are the clans of the Korites. Eliezer, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Batil, and she bore him Panias. Okay, you'll see his name come up later. These are the heads of the father's house of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. All right, so this is a very specific Moses and a specific Aaron identified by their lineage. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. Okay? The message source must be God. Now, this is important because remember, these people have been horribly oppressed. These people have been horribly put down. And so God did not want the, the source of the message to be anger or bitterness, etc., all right, etc. God wanted it to be himself. He said, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. And you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them. So there's obedience. Now, you have to understand, if there had been no obedience, there would have been no deliverance. 
obedience is necessary for God to move. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a servant. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and sorcerers, and they say, the Egyptians of Egypt also did the same by their secret arts. So there is a demonic imitation. Now, one of the things you learn as you go through Scripture is that Satan said, I will be like the Most High God. Satan Satan is not creative. Satan is not an initiator. God, God is creative. I mean, look at creation and you see how creative God is. But Satan is just a copycat. Everything you see Satan doing is an imitation of what God does. Now, it's always amazing to me. You can always tell the difference between the demonic and the spiritual. The demonic only can copy what the spiritual can do. Something to remember. For each man cast down his staff, and they became servants. Now, just remember that. The demonic only copies what spiritual can do. For each man cast down his staff, and they became servants. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, all right? So how do you tell the difference between the demonic and the spiritual? Real simple. Which one endures till the end? Which one, which one survives? Which one keeps going? Which one endures till the end? That's how you tell the difference. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going up out of the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you. Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and it shall turn to blood. Now notice, thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water. Wow. Now notice, the staff in Moses' hand was in God's hand. Wow. Now notice just how literal that is. It wasn't God standing there. It was the man of God standing there. And because the man of God would obey, God took that as his. Oh, beloved, get a hold of that. Remember I asked you, I told you, God asked what's in your hand? Because you will use what he gave you and the talent and abilities that he gave you, God puts his hand on that. Oh, 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 get excited about that all day long. The fish in the Nile will die, the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. Now, again, this is the only source of water. 
And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, their canals, their ponds, and over all their pools of water, so that they may become blood, and that there should be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone. Wow. Even water that had already been taken out of it. This is a supernatural feat. No physical connection to it. Wow. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight, I mean, just get a hold of that. No connection. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up his staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned to blood, and all the fish in the Nile died. All right, so there's consequences. And the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink the water from the Nile, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same thing by their secrets' hearts. Okay, here's Satan's imitation. Satan's copy. And he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now notice, copies harden hearts. Copies stop listening. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not even take this in his to heart. But all the Egyptians dug all along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague your country with frogs. And the Nile will swarm with frogs, so that they come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come upon you and all your people and all of your servants. Now, that's interesting. <laughs> frogs. You know, frogs are noisy and they're ugly and they're a nuisance. But this is just more than normal frogs. This is a plague of frogs. Every chair you sat on would have a frog on it. Frog in your bowl that you make your food is frogs. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the pools and make the frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts. All right, here's the copy. Satan's copy. Then Pharaoh called on Moses and Aaron. He said, Please plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and your people that the frogs will cut off from you and your houses will be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow, Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there was no one like our God. No copies. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your service and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs, as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the words of Moses. And the frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw 
that there was a respite. He hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. All right, so problem goes away. Hearts harden. How many times have I watched that from believers? When you're in trouble, you cry out to God, but when times are better, you harden your heart again. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust on the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. And the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. Okay. All right. So at some point, Satan's copy ends. At some point, Satan can't copy God anymore. Then the magicians, because he's not God, he's just a third rank angel. At some point, his power runs out. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And all the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. On that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. So God distinguishes his people. The land of Goshen, where the people of Israel lived, there would be no swarms of flies. See, there are times when God brings judgment on the world and he he spares his own people to show that there is a true God. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies under the house of Pharaoh and into his servant's house. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. And Moses said, It would not be right to do so. For the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I'm going out from you and will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and they prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarm of flies from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people. Not one of them remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Wow. Hardened his heart this time also. You know, there are some people that when God begins to be strong with them, you know what? They just keep hardening their hearts. 
and they always get broken. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship. Sometimes it's hard for me to understand why we pull away from each other so easily. Even though we all walk in the same road, yeah, we build dividing walls between our brothers and ourselves. But I
Our New Testament passage today comes from Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples and sang to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them here to me. Now, now notice, specific words bring specific results. Specific words bring specific results. Go into the village in front of you, the village, immediately. Now, if they had gone to another village, they would have never found the colt. Now, I bring this up so that you understand a principle of provision. God will oftentimes give you a specific instruction. Let down your net on the other side. Take one fish hook and put it into the water. And there, take the first fish that comes out. You'll find a shekel coin and you'll use that for both your temple tax and mine. Specific instructions brought specific provision. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he shall send them at once. All right. So God had a need for someone's asset. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a fold of a beast of burden. Now, I want you to notice the guy who owned this donkey participated in prophecy. I wonder how many times you and I have been asked by God to do something. And because we did it, we got to be a part of fulfillment of prophecy. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. Okay, so there was obedience. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Now, I want you to notice their cloaks. So they not only went and borrowed the donkey, but they also participated by letting Jesus use their cloaks. So here we have twofold provision. We have the donkey and we have the cloaks. So they participated. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. All right, we have more participation. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before them and that followed them were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. The whole city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee, really from Bethlehem. But they took where he grew up rather than where he was born. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Wow. He said, to them. Now, he didn't say this to the people, okay? He didn't go on a tirade. He said it to them. Now, this is Jesus' courage. 
He didn't go and blast these people to all. He didn't go and blast these guys to the people. He said it to their face. Okay. He said to them, to these people who bought and sold, to the people who he overturned the tape, the money tables, all right? He said to them. Again, he didn't go on a, a social media campaign. He spoke to them. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them, all right? So the first Holy Week is a healing crusade. I like that. Now, you know, sometimes you look at all this and you go, you know what? I don't get it. How can Jesus knock over the tables? How can Jesus rebuke these people and then turn right around and healing the sick? Because emotions and anointing are not related. Ah, okay. Emotions not related to anointing. He could display anger to take control of a situation and then turn right around and heal the sick. See, we always think that you got to get in the zone. There's no zone. There's miracles. There's anointing. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things they did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. All right? Here's a bad response. Now, the response of Jesus' rebuke for the corruption was the blind and the lame came to be healed. The response of the people corrupting, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And he said to them, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Now, this is a big, long walk every night. If this is Jerusalem and this is the, the valley, then you have the Mount of Olives here. We take that walk with you every year only. We walk down it. Jesus would have left the temple, gone through the valley, gone up the mountain at about three kilometers over here to Bethany, all right? So Jesus walked up, and this is why he always stopped in the Garden of Gethsemane to prayer. Rest first, pray, and then take the big long trek home. All right, one more passage today, a little bit of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter six. <laughs> and this is all about laziness. You know, I hear people writing books about the four-hour work week and how you can make money and never have to work hard. And, you know, it, it just doesn't go like that. He said, go to the ant, oh sluggard, means lazy person. Consider her ways and be wise, all right? So you have to think about what you see to gain wisdom. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. All right? So self-motivated. Without anybody to boss them around every day and tell them what to do, look at the ant. They just go to work. How long will you lie there, O oh lazy sluggard? 
How long, when will you arise from your sleep? You can always tell a lazy person because they sleep a lot. You know, you can always tell a lazy person because on Sunday morning, rather than being in church, some pastors are still sleeping. Okay. When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Ah, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed bandit. All right. So we have a cause and effect relationship. Laziness is a root cause of poverty. Now, straight up talk. You're not going to break out of poverty just by an education. You, you can have educated, lazy people, and they're still poor. I've met people in my life that have doctorate degrees, and they're poor. Laziness is a cause of poverty. I've met uneducated people, third, fourth grade educations, that are very prosperous people. Education or lack of education. Now, please, young people, you should all do your studies. Please don't, don't take what I'm saying and say, oh, I don't need to go to college anymore. Please finish your studies. But understand, you can be a lazy, super smart person with an IQ of 160, okay? You could be super brainy, like top off the charts, but lazy, and you'll never get anywhere. You, poverty will come upon you. You've got to understand, come upon you. Laziness attracts poverty. Like you've often heard me say, faith attracts God, fear attracts Satan. Laziness attracts poverty to your life. It, it, it sources poverty coming to your life. Want will come like an armed man. Now notice an armed man steals what you have. Lazy people will even lose the little they have. Want will come like an armed man, stealing what you have. If I could encourage you in one thing to get ahead, you know, I am a prosperity preacher and unashamedly so, but I'm not an avarice preacher or a greed preacher. I'm a, a prosperity preacher. God meets our needs and an abundance left over for every good work. But you have to understand, if there's one single truth of prosperity that might even be more important than sowing and reaping, it would be hard work. You're, you, you can sow all the seed you want, but if your laziness is attracting poverty, if your laziness is bringing want like an armed man, then everything God gives you is taken away. You have to learn hard work. There are many pastors I met in my life that are poor. And it's not poor because they can't preach. And it's not poor because they're not good preachers. They're, they're poor because they're lazy. They always want something for nothing. I've met businessmen that are tremendous businessmen, but they're always poor because they're lazy. But I've met other people. You know what? They're not so good, but they're prosperous because they're hard workers. Ah, let's be hard workers in Jesus' name. By the grace of God. Let's be hard workers. All right, we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, as we get back to the book of Romans.